Welcome to the What in the Shibar podcast with Suji and Ed. We're just two Asian Americans talking shit about shit. And you're probably asking yourselves, why, why are we sitting like this? <laughs> Get out of my head. I live there now. <laughs> Rent free. <laughs> um, we are sitting like this because today we have a very, 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 very special guest. And I cannot wait to tell you who it is. But first, hi, Ed. Hi. How was your week? Uh, It was... Good. I drove 40 miles the wrong way to try. <laughs> so our guests, well, you'll find out who it is in a minute. Um, we were supposed to meet them at a restaurant in Reseda, California. And I accidentally drove to the wrong location in Cerritos. It's not close. It's not close. It's about, what, 40 miles yeah, from 40 where we to were? 50 miles away. <laughs> and uh, so... He is supposed to meet us there and he texts me, I'm here and I'm about five minutes out. So I text him, I'm almost there. Wait, which I was really proud of because I'm like perpetually late. Chronically late. So I was like 10 minutes early and I was sitting there like so like proud of myself. And I walk up and I'm like, I didn't see his car. Maybe he parked in a place that's not the parking lot, which would be a weird choice. And then I walked in, I was like, you're not here. And automatically I assume that I've made a mistake. Cause I'm like, clearly I'm the idiot. And I went to the wrong place. And now I'm going to have to try to figure out where they are. And he's like, he goes, where I go, where are you? And he goes, I, I'm at the one in Cerritos. And I was like, ha ha ha, LOL. You're not in Cerritos. Why would you be in Cerritos? <laughs> that's when literally the light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> you just assumed that there was one location and just typed it into the But GPS. the craziest thing was we purposely picked that place because it was closest to where I work and to where our guest lives or like the general vicinity. And you drove 40 miles in the opposite That's what happened. Look, when you are this geographically challenged <laughs> as I am, I'm so directionally challenged that I literally started noticing red flags. Like for instance, it got progressively warmer in my car cause I like didn't have the vents on. I didn't have the windows open. So I, I could feel that my car was getting warmer. And I literally was like, that's weird. I was like, I know the valley is a tad bit warmer but I was like, it shouldn't be this much warmer in May when it's still like wintry weather out. But like the thing is when you're this directionally challenged you learn to quiet you're questioning because yes. you're like, what do you know? Right. You don't know anything about anything <laughs> with directions or ge geography. Can't even say the word right, you but know? Eventually he figured it out. She and I had a boba while we waited and it all worked out. Great. Yeah, I drove uh, 40 miles back the other way and <laughs> Susie even was like, you know, they have a limited time. Maybe it'll be awkward if you arrived. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I literally was like, what would my mom say? And she was like, Get your ass there. And yeah. I was like, okay, fictional mom. So he made it. Or, imagine. Imagine mom. mom. Imagination yeah. mom. But it worked out. And it was great. And our guest is maybe one of my favorite people on earth ever. She's so wonderful. So easy to talk to. Brilliant. So accomplished. Like, I am. It's crazy. Like, <clears throat> I am both so intimidated by her, but like, I want her to like be my best friend. Yeah, this person is the type of person that like, I want everyone to know that I know them now, except my mom, so that she can't <laughs> compare me to this Sick. person's I get it. amazing accomplishments. She really is amazing. Um, but how was your week? 
was not great. Oh yeah. It was not great. Um, I apparently caused an international incident between myself and the entire United <laughs> Kingdom on the weekend of the coronation. It's not a big deal. Um, I had, I don't know, 30 articles written about me. I've had, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people make horrible comments to me. I've had, um, you know, just your regular hate. But what's really interesting, I will tell you this, usually when there's some kind of like scandalous event, people get really horrible DMs like on their Instagram and stuff. I didn't get any of those. It was all exclusively in the comments. I got one that was just like kind of snarky, but like everybody else in the UK was like, hey, I'm just writing to you as somebody who lives in, in Britain or, you know, as in, an England or an English woman or whatever. And we're so sorry this is happening to you. It was totally unfair. In case you, I, I guess I'll give you the rundown. I made a video about Chinese food and about how they say a Chinese instead of just calling it Chinese food. And somehow that was enough to, I don't know, garner the hatred of the entire UK, whatever. Well, technically it's ongoing from the previous week because we kind of touched on it last week. Yeah, it, it didn't, it actually just yeah, got progressively it, worse. Yeah. And as the video performed going. more, I've had to make follow-up videos. And because of that, I've just, I don't know. And so because of that, there was a lot of come to Jesus moments for me this week. Like, am I doing this for a good reason? Why am I doing this? This is so stupid. It's a waste of time. Does anybody care anymore? Why would I put myself through this on purpose? Um, but you know, you, you gotta just kind of dig into like what you're doing and who you are and remember that intentionality has so much to do with what you do. And I know for a fact that not only did I intend to not hurt people I and say hurtful things. Yeah, I made it explicitly. A, yeah, said I it made explicitly. it a point several different times. And like, part of me honestly was like, maybe I should just apologize. Maybe I should just say, I'm sorry and just get it nope. over with. But then the other part of me was like, what am I apologizing for? I'm sorry that I said explicitly that I don't believe that this is racist. I said, I'm sorry because people are deliberately only listening to half of a sentence that I said. I'm sorry that people want to misconstrue every word out of my mouth, even though I explicitly said yeah. that these things are not the things that I'm, you know, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying that it is not true and I know that it's not true. And it's like, I don't ever want to be the kind of person who does things because people demand that of her when I, if I don't believe it, yes. I just don't want to do that. And so I haven't, and I don't, I don't think I have anything to apologize for. The only thing, if I were going to apologize would be to those three content creators, but the, okay, here's the thing. Okay. Friends. So many people have told me to shut the fuck up. Stop talking about it. So many people have said, you know, you owe these people an apology because you oh, included what? them in the video and you know, including them in a video is gonna do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I don't know that because I said explicitly, don't do that. And also these people are not racist is what I'm saying. So don't. So the only thing that I will say is that, so I don't really know that I have anything to apologize for. And if I do apologize to them, then isn't that bringing more attention to them, which is exactly the opposite of what people want me to do. So if I say like to your, your username, your username and your username, I just want to apologize. Then there's going to be another flood of people. Like, why did you force Susie to apologize? And that's not fair that you vilified her. And now it starts again. I cannot win. If I bring attention to them to apologize, I'm doing the same thing to them that I did in the first video, which was just talk about them. Not to mention like, what are you apologizing for, for making 
people uncomfortable in their whiteness. I'm sorry. Not Welcome sorry. to being a person of color every day of our lives. Right. Right. But I don't want to dwell on that because this episode actually is probably one of the things that would keep me going is people like our guest and people like our guest who inspire so many and make it a point to do so in a way that calls people in and is so like safe and yeah. is so um, like nurturing is a skill that I aspire to attain myself. Cause I, I really think there's so much value in that. Same. It wasn't until we were talking with this person the other day before this podcast recording that I was like, huh, I was like, do I need to like adapt my approach right. in the way that I make content? I was like, is there another way than being so explicitly blunt all the time, which is right. which is a persona I adapted a long time ago, knowing full well that it goes against the whole quiet model minority, put your head down thing. I was like, I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going right. to get tattoos. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to curse. But like. But judging by how successful she's been in doing that, then yes, there is a yeah, way. You know, there, there is, is space for that. And I think she Not that that's the only way. Right. And not, I'm not saying that we're doing anything we're doing anything no, wrong. No, 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 no. Or that we're gonna like try to change to like copy this person by no, no means. But like in life, there you should ways. always be looking to be better and to evolve. Evolve. Right. Right. Exactly. And you can I, I think for anybody who does what we do, like there are times, not even just for the people viewing and watching, but for ourselves yeah. to kind of soften the edges just so that you can really do what we wanna do, which is deliver the message of, you know, right. anti-racism and, you know, equality and equity and all those things, all the things that we talk about in a way that doesn't drive hatred to us. Because yes. it does, it really does take a lot out of you. And we should all be surrounding with people who question, make us question ourselves to become yeah. a better person. Because yeah. if you're not doing that. You're in a fucking vacuum. Yeah. And, and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I was about to say a lot of not pleasant things. Just kidding. But I would love to get to our guest. I know you would yeah. do too. So we have been absolutely blessed by the heavens above with one of my, one of the guests that I have been most looking forward to speaking to. And she is somebody. Look, when we first started this podcast, this person was one of the stretch goals that we had. Yeah, that we thought would we never jokingly happen. We were like, <laughs> She won't come talk to yeah. us. She's so busy and smart and we're dumb. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I guess she doesn't think we are. No, because I left a comment. So this person made this video where they talked about how they made this like, they shot their shot in something that they didn't think was plausible. And I looked at Susie and I was like, hey, I was like, is it really forward and obnoxious if I use this video to make a comment to be like, hey, shooting our shot with hey. you, please be your friend. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I already made it. And then by the time I questioned it, uh, that person had already responded with a Yes. Resounding yes. So, so without further ado. We are so excited to introduce our guest. She is, I don't know, so, so many things. She is a marathon runner, cookbook author, James Beard Award winning attorney, podcaster. I've New York Times bestseller, by yeah, the way. Yeah, literally. Um, food developer. I mean, she has done a million things. Did I say lawyer? She's yes. a part, yeah, she does Senior that. partner at her <laughs> law firm. Jesus, she is so many things. And I think that she is maybe one of the most inspirational people I've ever had the privilege of meeting. Joanne, the Korean vegan Molinaro. Hi! Hi. Hey guys. I can't believe we're this lucky to have you here. I'm not kidding. And I it's want you, no, it really, I was like, she said yes. Are you sure? Yeah. No, we, I mean, 
not to like, you know, go too far, but we like idolize you and we think you're Aww. so amazing. And watching your journey on social media, like has been so exciting. I know for myself and I'm sure I can speak for Ed too. You're such an inspiration to so many people. And we really want to, you want you to know we're so grateful to have you here. Well, I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I will not lie that the location of this um, <laughs> place had a lot to do with it because it's like 15 minutes from my house. Oh. Yay! <laughs> yes. You say that, but you did agree before you knew where. I did, but that was because Ed was just so charming in I the know. request. You're and kidding I could me? He got not. me to do a whole podcast with him. I barely even knew the guy. I was like, yeah. sure, it sounds great. I was like, of course. Um, but then when you said the location, I was like, sold. 15 minutes, done. I don't have to yeah. fly to New York or anywhere else. Exactly. Great. Just drive down the freeway, done. Exactly. Well, we're really excited to have you here. And so um, I know that you have had an meteoric journey on social media, but I think a lot of people don't know a lot of the, well, they do know a lot of the other things, but we want to talk about those things as well. In particular, your best-selling book, she won a James Beard Award, like, and she (laughs) gave us copies. I'm so excited. I was, it's like, how? Copies. She's lying copies. (laughs) (laughs) We're friends with the famous person. It's, no, so, seriously, thank you. Of course. So what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Was social media the catalyst for the cookbook or was I the cookbook? you mean the soybean or the tofu. Hey, oh my God, hey, so well like done. It. This is why you guys are gonna have a killer podcast. <laughs> so was it like, what? which concept was first? Definitely social media. Uh-huh. I had no intention of writing a cookbook. I was, as you guys know, a full-time attorney at the time. I started the Korean Vegan in 2016 when I decided to go plant-based. And I was like, hey, I'm not taking away my kimchi. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> like, it's just not gonna happen. I quickly discovered that kimchi has fish sauce and shrimp paste on it. I mean, I knew this already because I'd watched my mom make it a bajillion times. And yeah. I was like, okay, I gotta figure out a way to veganize this. And I was like, there's nobody who's on the internets like doing this for me. So I guess I just have to do it myself. My husband who was very much the reason why I decided to go vegan was like, you're so good at this. And he knew like I was like really not into it and I didn't want to do it. And I was very angry that I was being forced to do this. How dare you take away my Yeah, I was super resentful. We got into multiple fights, including like one, like we were sitting in the driveway of my boss's house at a Christmas party. And he's like, just so you know, I'm not going to eat any like animal products at this party. We have this huge fight in the Why driveway. Right Cause I was like, you don't understand like what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. It was so ugly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, sounds like yeah. a movie. <laughs> so he was like, you're so good at veganizing things. Like trying to get me to like do this. So he's yeah. manipulating you yeah. to cook for him. A little bit, a little bit. And he's like, you should start a YouTube channel where you share all your recipes. You can call it the Korean vegan. And I was like, okay. So I'm angry at you, but I don't hate any of this. I kind of love this idea. So you weren't from like, I mean, you're still practicing as an attorney, but Mm -hmm. you had this like really creative thing about you and you just decided to just go for it. Like you were just like, fine, fuck it. I'll just do it. Totally. That's exactly the way that it kind of evolved. I had started a writing blog in 2010, I think, um, on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. And through that, I knew that I enjoyed creating things, artistic things. Then it was mostly poetry and writing. And I also started taking photographs at that time, largely of myself, um, because I didn't 
know like what else to take pictures yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I will take a picture of the uh, Marina Towers for the 70th time. <laughs> here's another fruit bowl. <laughs> exactly. So I just started taking pictures of myself and I learned a lot about lighting and photography and Photoshop and like editing. And when I started the food blog, I was like, oh, and I just have to change the, you know, the subject. Yeah. No longer me and it's just food. And so that was like a really interesting thing. And because I had been sharing things on the internets, you know, before for like two years or actually several years at that point, I was familiar with that concept already. And so that's basically what I started doing. I started the Korean vegan that way. And then I would say in 2017, so I started the blog in 2016, end of 2017 was when I had the opportunity to write a book proposal because a book agent, a literary agent approached me and I was like, sure. And it took me a year to do it because I was a practicing lawyer, I was a partner and I had no time, but it took me a year and uh, my agent shopped it around and I had an offer within a week. That's Mind blowing, because even a year, regardless of owning or like having a job, is like a very quick turnaround to write a whole book. Yeah, write all the recipes. Oh no, I did not write a book in a year. I wrote a proposal, oh, the which proposal. is yeah, uh, which is literally different. thirty pages of um, screenshots of my Instagram posts oh. <laughs> yep, and yep, ten yep. pages Got of it. like actual like recipes that I borrow from my Instagram. Posts. Right, right. <laughs> From yourself, <laughs> yeah. but still, that got Even sold that. in a week. Yeah. yeah, it did. And I only had 37,000 followers on Instagram. Like these numbers that we're seeing nowadays with TikTok, sure, YouTube, and sure. Instagram reels are like astronomical compared yeah. to, you know, what I did at that point. I, I was, I remember when my lit agent was like, so like, do you want to write a book? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, by the way, it doesn't have to be a cookbook. Like you're such a good writer. You could write about anything. You could yeah. write a memoir, you could write a novel, you could write a book about the law, which he's still pushing me on. Oh, really? um, oh yeah, to <laughs> totally. Um, he's like, or you could write one about like food if you want. And I was like, yeah, I think that's all I have time for. Wow. So I'm just going to do that. So all of the creative endeavors that you've involved yourself in, were those things cultivated for you like as a child or was it like, because I know and I think most Korean households will tell you that academics are at the forefront of everything that a Korean child is expected to do. Like Which I, is why so many of us are finding our creativity right yes. in our forties and like yeah. right. So when I'm wondering, we can afford like, them, right, yes. right, and have the luxury and have our parents not breathing down our do necks I have to approval? do it. Yes, well now <laughs> right. I'm gonna do what I want to do. Right, right, exactly. You're happy with what I've done? Great, because I'm gonna go do a fucking podcast now or whatever. Did, were you able to do those things? Like, were you able to be a creative as a child or were you just kind of, cause obviously you were a lawyer first. Yes, so I think my parents um, struck a relatively good balance when it came to that. And I say relatively, cause of course I'm, you know, my husband is a concert pianist. So compared to his family, like wow. no, like yeah, it's different, right? Like my parents wouldn't pay for college if I majored in music or anything other than X, right? But. And, but at the same time, and I love this about my parents, they're, they had to suppress, squash, or bury their own creative endeavors and their own creative impulses due to the exigencies of war, poverty, and starvation, right? Sure. And I think that once they got to America and they were able to settle in a way that was safer, they then got to revisit some of these things about themselves that 
remained unexplored, mm -hmm. right? And because of that, I was able to see that exploration happen live in this you know, relatively safe situation. My father loved English poetry. He majored in English literature oh, at Yonsei, wow. you know? So Ooh, he loved really? beautiful things. Oh, he loved beautiful. beautiful writing. He'd always tell me about Wadsworth. And I'd be like, <laughs> who's Wadsworth? <laughs> <laughs> you know? It took me a long time to realize it's like, what's Wadsworth? Wadsworth? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'd be like, I'd write a sonnet for English class and be like, sounds like Wadsworth. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Are you so oh, adorable? So you know? That's so sweet. <laughs> I know. And my mom was herself a, a published writer. I didn't know this. You know, wow. she got some of her poetry published in, you know, Chungang Daily, you know, and stuff like that. Um, because she loved to write. She loved literature. She, I had my first copy, embossed copy of Anne of Green Gables. She gifted that to me. Oh, wow. So these are things that have my father loves music. I mean, to an obsessive degree. His yes. hearing aids are just now Spotify, like, <laughs> nonstop, you know? Um, so like, he loves music. That's why they wanted me to play violin, which mm -hmm. is, you know, a little bit of that Asian trope, but it was genuine, yeah, you know, like right, they love classical right. music and I learned piano. Um, they supported me to some degree in vocal performance and, and things like that. So, so yes. you're a singer too, is what you're saying. I took vocal performance for many years. That was what mm -hmm. I wanted to pursue as a career. And that Same. was kiboshed. Which, <laughs> wait, which means she's coming to karaoke night when yeah. it happens. Don't you find yeah. that funny though? Because my mom did the same thing. She forced same. me to play the cello because it was her favorite sound. She wanted me to sing, but I, I couldn't pursue any of those things, which is why I literally had to try out for and get accepted into Juilliard. And to this day, my mom still doesn't know. <laughs> Because, I, I remember this story. Yeah, is you the craziest to, thing? Yeah. About this. Yes. Still haven't told her because I'm like, at this point, I don't know if she's going to be offended or disappointed. You know I what I mean? I think it would cause some consternation. I agree. <laughs> I feel like she would, well, I don't know. I think she'd be sad about it. I want to believe that, but I don't know. But I think it's just funny that her parents have these like hopes and dreams for us, but they also are like, but like money over happiness. I think that... Security, my parents, yeah, security and safety, which is like built into their DNA, yes. written into their DNA, which I completely understand. Totally. That said, let's say if I had gotten into Juilliard, like I think my parents would have like done everything they could to support that. At, that's like a different level. And I remember when I wanted to major in vocal performance, like my mom and I had this like really like important heart to heart in our bathroom. <laughs> We're sitting on the floor of our bathroom right next to our disgusting bathtub at the time. <laughs> I remember this conversation so clearly. And I say this so glibly, like, oh, that was kiboshed. But in all honesty, I my parents said, look, if you really want to major in vocal performance, you can double major. Okay, we'll do that for you. And I remember I had gotten into a conservatory, I gotten into um, Oberlin. Oh. On, on vocal performance. Yeah. And so they, they was, and it's expensive. It's a yeah, private school, but they did offer a double major program. And at the time there weren't a lot of conservatories that would allow me to do that. And so I remember we were sitting on the ground and I was so excited about the Oberlin acceptance letter. I literally ripped it in half by accident because <laughs> I was trying so to open excited. it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we're sitting there on the ground and my mom's like, she was so honest. She's like, we don't have money to send you to a private school. We have money to send you to U of I, which was a public school and I was in state tuition. And she's like, even that is gonna be hard for us, but we can afford that. 
But if you tell me that it's your dream to go to Oberlin, mm. I will do whatever it takes to send you there. I will take on a second job. We'll take out a second mortgage. I'll do whatever it takes to send you there. If you tell me right now, that's your dream. But by that time, at 17 years old, there are some so, 17 years old like, yes, fuck yes, yeah, I will take right, that dream. Right, I will take right, that offer. Right. But not anyone sitting in this room today. No way. Like we would not ever Never. do that. We know the ramifications of of doing that, right? And I think that's at the heart of what a lot of us, like we were saying, are experiencing now as we're getting older. I'm like, my parents are more settled. I'm more settled. We've been doing all the things that we were supposed to do. And like now I almost feel like I'm doing too many things. Mm. I'm like frenzied at all the things that I wanna do. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I am so fucking tired. I don't know. And and then I'm starting to feel like, am I doing anything well right now? Cause yeah. I feel like I have just kind of given 20% to five different things mm. and none of which I think I'm doing an excellent job of. But at the same time, I'm so elated at the idea that I'm actually doing them things that I've never ever thought that I could or would ever have the time to pursue. So this is like our creative equivalent of the hoe phase, right? We're getting to do all the things yeah. Yeah. that like we like church told us not to. So. Right. <laughs> you know? And sometimes I don't know if it's like detrimental to my mental health or not, but sometimes I try to picture what my mom would say, like, Yesterday, for, or two days ago, for instance, I accidentally went to the wrong restaurant that we were supposed to meet at. <laughs> like, instead of, I went all the way to Cerritos instead of going to the Valley, which is like an Cerritos, hour away. Cerritos, Reseda, like, I get it, I get it. I don't, but I'm also very directionally challenged. But I tried to think, I was like, what would my mom tell he me to do? He literally said that to me on the phone. He's like, my mom would tell me that I have to go. She would be like, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not, you know what I mean? And my mom told me this one thing when I feel like I'm like, oh man, I'm not, spreading myself too thin. She goes, you know what I would give to be in my 30s and 40s again, to be able to do all yeah. the things I wanted to do? And I'm like, yeah. well, now That's I feel familial pressure. <laughs> and I feel like, I was like, oh, am I like starting to make you, oh no, just, oh, I need to, oh, okay, I yeah. need to do more. Cool. I think this idea of feeling frenzied and pulled apart I mean, we used to have this saying at work, you know, at the firm all the time, because we were told as associates when we first start, you're not allowed to say no. Mm. You always have to say yes. And that's how we get work as junior level associates as a partner or a senior associate comes up to us and says, I have a project for you. Literally, it's called project. And I remember I had like 26 projects going on at any given time because I followed that rule to the T. I never, ever said no. One time I said no, it was the week before my wedding and I was like literally losing my mind, you yep. know? And I was like trying to plan a wedding and be a good junior level associate. And a partner called me and said, I have a project for you. And I said, no. And I said, I'm sorry, Jim. I really wish I could, but right now I can't. I mean, I had just gotten off the phone with my wedding planner is crying mm, right. because the seating chart was wrong and blah, blah, you know? <laughs> and I said, no. And that guy never called me again. Wow. In 17 years, he never called me again. Damn, that, Jim, that's calm the ramifications down. of saying no. And so when we talk about FOMO, mm -hmm. we, Talk about it as if it's like this thing that doesn't happen, sure. but it is a thing sure. that happens. Like you do miss out on opportunities. And so you do have to be strategic about how you invest yourself. But the reason we were always trained, yes, you have to say yes to everything. Later on, it was like, you have to say yes to everything, but you also have to understand that if you say yes to everything, you'll never be good at, at anything, anything, you know? Right. And that was like the balance that we had to learn. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's like a funny thing to think about because the kids these days are like so set on boundaries, which is also important. But it's just like, it's just like back to the Asian diaspora, right? You're like, how do I reconcile these traditional Korean objectives and American society and like trying to make it do this? But in reality, it's like more like this, you know, and you're like trying to smush these things together. But what I'm curious to know is like, especially because you're like such an accomplished everything partner at a law firm (laughs) and you're a James Beard winner. Like, what do you think your parents are most proud of you? Oh, for sure. They're most part of like getting the bar exam. Oh, really? Like, like, I know that they're proud of, I think they're proud of that, like the most. And, and it's just like the evidence, (laughs) like it speaks for, I remember this is such a wonderful story and I'm so proud of that moment too, but I, I, um, I thought the bar exam was going to be super easy (laughs) because everyone passes it. And I thought, and I also thought it was going to be open note. (laughs) (laughs) Cause like in school, like we never had a closed note exam. (laughs) So I was like, wait, what do you mean? I can't bring my Books? Books? Was like, wait, you're saying that I can't look at the internet during this test? I was like, how am I supposed to know the law? Right. You know, mm-hmm. like nobody expects a doctor to sure. memorize everything. And I, it's the same way, like nobody expects the lawyer to like know the stuff. They have the internet, they have books, they have a library, they have like notes and all this stuff. So I just thought, I just assumed the test was open note. And then like about 10 days into Barbary, which is the class that everyone takes, I was like, Wait, I, I think that this is not open note. <laughs> I, I think it's I'm not sure, but I'm starting to have suspicions, <laughs> guys. Like, like I have to memorize this <laughs> shit. And like that really like, you know, made me freak out. And I realized the test was like way harder than I had given it credence. And so I remember the day after I took the test, not even the day, literally as I'm walking out of the testing center, the first person I call is I call my mom and I just start sobbing. Mm. And I was like, I'm never gonna pass this. There's no way. I'm not gonna be a lawyer. Like this is impossible. Like this is just the hardest test I ever took. And so you can imagine then whatever, like three months it takes where you're sitting there on pins and needles waiting for the exam results. I don't know if it's like that. Oh yeah, back in the day, that's how long it was. There's so many weird things. Like back in the day, we had to wear a suit to, oh no, not us. Um, In Maryland, you had to wear a suit to take the bar exam, but you had to wear gym shoes with the suit because you're not allowed to make any noise. So you couldn't wear dress shoes. So in Maryland or like some weird state, I can't remember what state it is, but in Maryland, I think you had to wear a suit and you had to wear gym shoes. We had to wear gym shoes. I didn't have to wear a suit, but I definitely had to wear sneakers. And if you make a noise with your watch, like if your watch goes off, you're automatically disqualified. No. Yeah, they take your testing papers and they kick you out of the room. There's no warnings. Like, oh this is like how intense it was. Like, I feel stressed out just thinking of being yeah. in a room like, with all those people in gym shoes and so quiet. Yeah, like it was crazy. Like there were so many weird things, but yeah, like the results, again, I have no idea how it was. They came out months after and it was like, um, you would get assigned a number and it, at the like at some godforsaken hour and this is what happened like we knew the test results are coming out that day and so i'm refreshing refreshing and refreshing the website because what it was is the website would just publish a list of numbers and those are the numbers that made it and the numbers that were not on there didn't make it so it was like Damn. it was like a school play yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah. Like you're yeah. on the cast list right. or you're yeah. not. Yeah, it was exactly like that. It was like or like those Korean dramas where they're like looking on yes. the list. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. is my name here? Yes. Um, like yeah, that was basically it. And so I remember it was like. 
three in the morning and I finally, I refreshed and finally the list was published and I'm sitting there like literally shitting in my pants. <laughs> and I'm like, is my number here? Is my number here? And I saw my number. My parents were dead asleep, of course. And I, you know, knock on their bedroom door and no answer. And so I open the door and they're sound asleep, I thought, and I whisper, no. And they both jumped out of bed. <laughs> they're in their pajamas and they're jumping around in the room. They're hugging me and they're oh. screaming. And the next thing I know, my dad like books it to the phone, calls Korea. <laughs> you know? It's like normal time there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just telling everyone in my family, my daughter passed the bar. That's that amazing. I've never seen that reaction in any other thing that I have That's ever done. That made me cry. I'm also, yeah. I'm also picturing them before that you came in being like, okay, if she says she failed, <laughs> just pretend, just we're pretend still sleeping. to sleep <laughs> and we'll just let her work it out. And Are we'll, you wearing your sneakers? And we'll coax her in the morning. Yeah. You know, that's entirely possible. Actually knowing oh. my parents, it's very possible, but really luckily we did not have to go through Dang. plan B. <laughs> not only wow. were you that nervous, but then you pass on the first try. I know. It's a gas, Joanne. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it was a horrible test. Let me just tell you for anyone who's, you know, planning on being a lawyer, do not take that for granted. Just because the pass rate is high doesn't mean that the test itself is easy. Yeah. It just yeah. means that most of them are not idiots like me <laughs> who thought that it was open book, okay? Like that's what it means. <laughs> wow. Well, so let me ask you this. So when you decided to leave the law firm and they, and it's a huge leap of faith, I mean, in yourself. And I feel like that takes so much confidence and something that I think a lot of people have a hard time with. Was the confidence something you always had? Was it instilled in you? Because I know a lot of people want to, I, I have people ask me all the time, like, you're so confident, I wanna be more confident. How, and I know that a lot of what you say and do is about empowering yourself. But where does it come from? Does it come from internally or is it external things or is it a combination of both? And like, if you were to ever have somebody ask you like, how can I be more confident? What, what kind of, like, how would you help somebody do that? That's a really great question, Susie. And I think that confidence remains so um, like dastardly elusive to it people is. because it's like, okay, we know it's a good thing and we know that it can change our lives. And we want it. Yeah, but where it's do I get so it? hard uh, yeah. to get it. And I remember there are like, I would say there were two things that from an external perspective that helped me to tap into what I think existed inside of me. Number one, when I was a senior in high school, I think junior in high school, cause I wasn't allowed to take fun classes uh, senior year. I had to take like uh, hard classes, but in junior year I took one semester of creative writing and I wrote this short story. And I remember one of the girls who read the short story said something that stuck with me forever. She said, it's so clear that the person in this story is always trying to do the right thing. Mm. And I was like, that's me. The story is about me and that is so true. There's like nothing that has ever been more true about me, which is I make a lot of mistakes. I say the wrong things. I'm socially awkward. I get controversial. I get angry. I lose my temper. Like all of these things that, you know, according to the Bible, really bad. Yeah. But it's true. I've always been at least the compass for me is like I want to do the right thing, right. you know, right. and that to me is so fundamental to developing confidence, which is 
knowing that at the end of the day, I'm a good person. Like I'm a good person. I make mistakes. I do right. things that are wrong. I upset people. I even hurt people, but I'm a still a good person. And that is the most important thing that you need to know about yourself. If you have questions about whether or not you're a good person, then there's work that right. remains to be done. The other thing that I think had an enormous impact was running the marathon. Yeah. So in 2014, I watched my now husband run a marathon and 40,000 other people run the Chicago marathon. And I was like, these people are all batshit crazy. Yeah. I'm like, I don't <laughs> I know what they're, it. I was like I smoking, like, yeah, this is right. like crazy. Like I will never do this. But somehow, notwithstanding that early evaluation, I ultimately ended up running my first marathon in 2017, proving myself wrong in every imaginable way. And added to the list of things, Joanne, that's incredible. That I will never that's do. Incredible. But no, but see, that's yeah. the thing is like you say that and I said that, and yet I did it. I did a thing that I thought was impossible. And there is no way to overstate the impact of doing something that you thought with all sure. of your might that it was impossible, and yet you did it. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I crossed that finish line, I was like, I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. Like I can do these hard things. I know I said that there was only two, but I would definitely say there's a third. That hard thing was a physical manifestation of what I had done earlier in 2014, which was to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. I had thought that leaving my ex-husband was impossible. Like there was like no way I would ever do it. He was the love of my life. He was my chutzadam. Every like trope in the world. Mm -hmm. Like I gave him everything in me. And I was like, there's no way I can leave him. And yet I did that hard thing. I walked out that door. When you do these hard things that you set up in your mind as impossible and you smash through this wall that you've created for yourself, you now have a track record. You have a library right. of things that you can go to the next time a hard thing happens and says, you know what? You thought this was impossible too. Right. And yet you proved that is. wrong. So when I was leaving the firm, again, another thing that I thought would be totally impossible, especially during the pandemic, when I was like, I can't yeah. leave this job. Yeah. Like, are you kidding right. me? Like, like do not leave this so job. Crazy. Yeah. Right. Like, what am I like, thinking? I thought it was impossible too. But then I had now a track record. I had yeah. a catalog, not of success. That is the the fallacy is you need to create a track record of success. No. You need to create a track record of survival. Yeah. That is the ultimate track record. If you can survive, if you remain intact, if you remain a good person, notwithstanding every horrible thing that life brings to you, that is real confidence. That proves that even if all goes to shit, right. even if the Korean vegan goes bankrupt tomorrow, I'll be okay. Yeah. You're I think there's a big thing to be said about being able to retell narratives in your head because when right. you don't have confidence it's really just your brain and yourself telling you like you can't do that because of these insecurities because of these traumas and there is a big thing to be said about cultivating that or conditioning that behavior of being like no i'm gonna rewrite my own narrative and my own villain is me, you know? Totally, totally. There's this um, great author named Stephen Pressfield, and he talks about this in his book. He calls it The Resistance. Mm. And I think for him, it's interesting because he actually identifies it as like an external third party, like a monster, like literally like a demon, like who yeah. lives outside of you and is trying to suppress every creative, beautiful, accretive intention that you possibly have. And I don't know necessarily if it's a third party thing so much as it is an internal villain that lives inside yes, of me right. that's constantly trying to squash any 
shred of confidence or joy that I could possibly have. And I think that what you say about writing your own narrative of cultivating the story, you know, as a lawyer, I always say it's about your evidence. You got to mark that shit, mm -hmm. you know, exhibit A, B, C through Z, you know, here's all of my evidence that I have to prove to myself that this voice that's trying to tell me you can't is full of shit, right. as shitty as every, you know, opposing counsel you've ever come across. I know I'm supposed to talk as like the host. I'm like, I just want to listen to Joanne talk <laughs> all day. Like, yeah. I'm just going to shut the fuck mouth. up and just let her go, which then brings me to your podcast, mm -hmm. which how long have you been doing it? I've been doing this for about, I would say like a year, like the first few, I would say like first six podcasts, like, and this is how I started my podcast. You guys started it so beautifully and smart. <laughs> this is how I started my podcast. <laughs> I had a newsletter that went out to my emailers, right? Mm -hmm. And I proofread by reading out loud. I'm old fashioned that way. Uh -huh. I'm terrible at proofreading otherwise. So I was reading out loud my newsletter and I was like, you know what? I should just record, record this. Yeah. And like, it's like a book on tape, but yeah, different. Like yeah. I'll just record this in case there are people who don't have like the ability to read mm -hmm. my words. Cause my newsletters are long. And I was like, I'll just do this. So literally my first podcast was like, Hey everyone, <laughs> like, this week's newsletter is, <laughs> that was my first podcast. And the only reason it was a podcast is because I discovered like I can't embed audio files it's in my emails. Yeah. Uh, I have to have it hosted somewhere. Yeah. So I was like, how to host audio file. And the first one that came up was like podbean.com. Yeah, Cause it's it. free, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> so like literally that was it. And then like a few weeks later, I was like, oh wow, I could just turn this into a podcast by literally hitting one button. Right. Like yeah. it was so right. easy. And I was like, okay, I'll just do that. But I didn't call it a podcast. Yeah. Like it was nothing. And taking out the, this is this week's yeah, newsletter no, no, This part. is like yeah. anywhere to newsletter was I continue to do many right. episodes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the origination and that was about a year but ago. Even though you just reading a newsletter though, to me, I could still find people really being interested. You're just such a beautiful storyteller. And like, I could tell you the same story about the, a journey that's similar in my life. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't resonate the same, the way you tell stories and your inflection in, in telling them and the words that you choose, they're so poetic. And I think Wadsworth, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the influence was there like it's so poetic and it's so dreamy and your photographs are so moody and dark and powerful and i i, I can't help but know like and understand how you've inspired so many people like i just breathed the word in certain company like i'm meeting the korean vegan and people lost their fucking shit Aww. they're like you get to meet her in real life like the actual person i'm like well, yeah, like what else did you think I meant? They're like, that is incredible. Please tell her like we love her and she's inspired me to do so many things. And like, I don't know, I just, do you feel like the pressure of that too though? There must be a pressure to it. Well, first of Not all. Until now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Even I feel this troubling. It's such a beautiful thing. Like with great power comes great responsibility. I you know, we talk that. about this all the time. Well, I would say, first of all, everyone's voice is unique. And sure, not everyone's voice is, you know, to be lent to things like podcasts or videos because their talents lie elsewhere. I would also say that the two of you have done such a remarkable job of honing in on what you're good at, what you're good at talking about, 
and also understanding what your community needs from you. And that Thank all you, goes Joy. into, you know, creating a phenomenal podcast, creating really important content on TikTok or elsewhere on YouTube and things like that. So I think that sure, like people say like your voice is so calming and so that, you know, like all that stuff. But you know, I, I don't want to understate the importance of your unique voices right. as well and, and the Thank work you. that you're doing in your way. And I think that's really what it is, is there's this great book that I talk about on my podcast all the time. I like David Epstein wrote this great book called Range. It's a New York Times bestseller. And he talks about how, you know, there's this notion that you got to devote 10,000 hours to anything yep. to be like good at it, like mm -hmm. to any degree. And and there's proof of that. My husband is proof of that. Like he's mm -hmm. spent mm -hmm. well over 10,000 10, hours um, developing his skill as a technician in the piano. Right. But I think that what David does is he's like, well, you know, like, what about like, if you spend five hours doing this, a hundred hours on that, maybe 200 hours on this, a thousand hours here, two hours on this, and you kind of mash up all of those hours to create 10,000 hours of a lot of different yeah. things. Yes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're an expert at this thing that nobody else is an expert yes. at. And I so totally the, yeah. the challenge then is, well, how do I create a demand for this particular expertise? Because to me, it's always a function of you know, supply and demand. How do we pull those levers, right, right. right? And so I think that's the pressure that I often feel. It's like, I am who I am. Like, this is my, like, this is who I am. I've got what like, you get. Yeah, this like what a random mishmash of a lot of different things. I am not a professional photographer. I'm definitely not a chef. I have no idea what I'm doing half the time. I'm obviously not a podcaster <laughs> since I was just reading my newsletter out loud. <laughs> like, <laughs> you are all these things. But that's the beautiful thing yes. is that, like, you know, we have this mishmash of stuff. And the pressure for me is always, well, how do I, create demand for that? Like, mm. how do I create an urgency for the kind of things that I'm uniquely equipped to create? Whether it's an urgency or how do I allow people to realize this is something that you want in your life? You know, like you want these words in your life. You want my voice in your head because mm. it isn't being provided by anyone else. Worse for me. Powerful. Yeah. No, I'm like, that's, I was like, I was too busy thinking about what you were saying to think of what to say next. I was like, yeah, yeah. no, that's so smart. Yeah. That's well, I right. mean, it's, 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 and it's particularly like challenging when you're, when you're guided by service, right? Yes. you know, and that's like, to me, like, and I know you guys did an episode on, you know, the challenges again of being a social media content creator, particularly in environments like TikTok, where you're sort of at the mercy of cancel culture, mm -hmm. um, you know, mob mentality, and of course the algorithm, right? right yes. And the sort of perverse incentives that are sort of you know, prevalent as a result of views and metrics and, and essentially advertisement, right? When you have all of that in play and you are pawns of that type of industry, then it becomes almost unbearable. Right. Um, where you're just like, oh my God, like I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And all of a sudden your intentions become diluted, if not completely hijacked, right? And so what I always have to come back to when I feel like that is service. 
you are doing this in service. Yes, we can make a living out of it, right. but ultimately, why are you doing this as opposed to just being a lawyer? Right. You know, you have to do it with yeah. a mentality of service. And when you do that, then creating quote demand becomes ever trickier. I, I had this, this moment very recently, I think maybe this morning and the last maybe 10 days of my life. And I text Ed last night, I was like, I just questioned like, why am I even doing this? Why have I subjected myself to this? The the things that I have to endure in order to do this, again, like you said, have become hijacked. And and I am I even doing this for the right reasons anymore? Am I talking to the same people? Or am I just screaming into the the void of, of whatever this is? And what even is this? Anymore? And I was just like, everything. I was like, I don't know if I even, I questioned, I was like, I just wanna stop. I just wanna stop. I don't wanna do this anymore. It's, it's too painful. It's so painful. And literally as I was doing that, I got an email from a young woman who lives in a very rural town and is one of the only Korean people that she knows. And she says to me, when I listen to you, I feel like I'm talking to my aunt or I'm talking to a family member that I don't know. And the things that you've said and the things that you say and how you say them, these are the words that I've wanted to kind of put together, but I never had the ability and I didn't understand what it was I was trying to say. And I was like, oh, well, there it is. There it is right in front of me all over again. The reason I was doing this and, and that was, it couldn't have come at a better time. Just the reminder of like what I'm doing, why am I here? And is the mission the same? And am I, have I changed it? And, and if I have, I need to hurry up and get back to it because that is on, you know, it's face the entire reason I'm here. Mm. And it was very like, it was very powerful that moment. I was like, all right, go back, go back. Because it does, it, 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 it becomes so much less about, any control I had, any message that I had, anything that I really wanted to do has become I, just, you know, vapor. And I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing it like this. This something has to change. And I think it was really, again, not necessarily the, the content that I create or the things that I say, but just my perspective had to shift back because I had gotten so far away from it. And I got, you know, I became the victim of the algorithm. I became the victim of, and I don't ever victimize myself, but like, I self-victimized myself. Like this is the things that I, these no, are the things that I feel self-victimization. Like, no, no, it was out of your control. No, the there's algorithm. a system in place right. that's yes. designed to yes. completely toxify the world that we try to create Perhaps. every day. I mean, like for Perhaps instance, on right. YouTube, the videos that, I don't know if it's still true ever since this information came out, but for the longest time, the best performing videos on YouTube were conspiracy videos. Yeah. Because controversy, gets people watching and gets exactly. people engaged. And so like the algorithm is incentivized right. Which to is, create controversy. It's actually really funny that you say that because there's now a feature on TikTok where you can shift like the grid view on your TikTok from just like your most recent posts to your most popular posts. Mm -hmm. And I clicked it and it wasn't like I didn't know, but to see it in this way, every single video that I've made where I'm calling out a white woman are my number one videos. And I was like, so that's the combination, controversy and a white woman. That's the combination that the algorithm thinks is the most popular. And the incentive that now, right, yes. like they want burdens to you. Bait, and bait me into doing more of that content when that's not really what I wanted to do or ever set out to do. It just so happened to be the situation that I was talking about. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking like 20,000, I'm sorry, 20 million, 15 million, like millions and millions of views. And I'm like, God, well, there's the carrot. 
there's the carrot in front of the horse. Like I, that's what they want from me. You have to be so guarded against that. And, yeah. I, and only if you want to be, of course. Right. Like, of course. If your if your only intention is to become super rich or super famous, like then no, you don't need to guard against that. You but you do need to acknowledge the fact that you're just feeding this machine right. that's you creating can, a terrible world. Right. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> like that's all it is, but fine. Like if that's what you want to do, no judgment. And what's what's crazy is people are like, you know, you're, you just call out beat people. You're so toxic and you know, that's all you ever want to do. I'm like, sometimes I cook food and sometimes I talk about my kids and sometimes I talk about my husband and I do, I talk about all of these other, my hobbies and things that I love doing. I sometimes create art. I do all these things, but nobody wants this. The machine doesn't want you to see that from me. You, you have now completely forgotten the entirety of my humanity and just see me as this one thing. And I don't want that. You know, I don't know how to guard myself from that. It's so hard. I think about this thing all the time, but there's this um, great podcast that I listen to and there was this scientist on there and he was like, you know, that human beings have evolved to react 13 times more to something negative yes. and scary yep. than something nice mm -hmm. and uplifting, mm -hmm. which totally made sense, right? Because that's why we run away from like lions and tigers right, and things right, that will right. kill us. Yep. Like that's how we protected ourselves, ensured our survival and our continued sustenance as a species, right? And that's why when you see something that makes you mad on TikTok, you're 13 times more likely to engage with it and then tell the algorithm, right. this is the thing that makes money. Right. So let's promote this more, creating this perverse you know, system of incentives that actually makes everyone really angry and, yeah. and really upset all the time, which is not the best environment. My most popular video is the one where I tell everyone that my mom told me she didn't love me and kicked me out of the house, you know? Yeah. And like, that's not a fun story to tell, right. but no. now like, so is the algorithm telling me I need to shit on my parents right, more? Right. Is that right. what, yeah. is that is, what I'm it's supposed to do? It's also not fully representative of your entire no. relationship no. It at isn't. all. It's one story out of hundreds. Barely, of course. Probably just a clip of a story, you right, know what I mean? Right. And I was on this like mental health panel over the weekend, and Sam Hyun. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Love, love Sam. Yeah. Sam, we love you so much. So awesome. So, <laughs> so smart, so composed. He I know. He's like doing governmental work, which I is like, really inspiring. But he said this thing. He was like, you know, you always have to remember the why. Like, why did you start making the content? Yeah. Like, what drives you to do it? And like, I just have to keep reminding myself that like. I just want to be that person that like I needed growing up. Yeah. You know, especially like being an only child, like being in a predominantly white neighborhood. I just like needed someone to like understand that like my experiences weren't unique to me. Like I'm not some weirdo, you know, overly sensitive weirdo that everyone used to say I was like that. The things that I went through were valid. And I just try to remember that, which is hard to do. When, like you said, the algorithm's like, right. hey, when you talk about North Korea, that's right. what we want to hear. You right. know what I mean? And you're like, right. um. <laughs> right. You know, and it's just like, right, I just need to just need to remember why you're doing it, which is hard. I think the other thing that's interesting to think about, not necessarily necessary, there's this great book called Sparkotype, which everyone has archetypes, mm -hmm. right? But this Sparkotype <laughs> book actually like makes you take all these quizzes and then it tells you, like, here are the things that bring you the most joy, like the skills that actually cause you to spark and glow. And here are also the things that you hate. Yeah. And like, you huh. should really try and delegate as much as you can because they're sucking your joy from you and like taking away from the things that you're really good at and what you're like, 
specifically designed to do. Yeah. And I think that, first of all, you guys should do the quizzes because I'd be so say, interested. Like, that's like, like a, a fun episode. episode. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, but it's such a great thing. And I think about it all the time because I sparked at uh, advice, mm. advisor, and advocate. Yeah. And those are my sparkotypes. And I, it made me think, because the author's like, now you should take those types and think about an episode from like literally when you were little that shows that that was your sparkotype. Mm. And I remember like when I was really little, I was like nine years old, and I saw this kid getting bullied in the park. And I was so angry. It was like this high school kid and he was like on his bicycle and he was like punching this kid. It's like an episode and of like Karate Kid or something. I know, <laughs> and I got so mad and I'm like this little girl, but I was like, you know what? I can't deal with this. I literally like rode up to him on my bike and I was like, you have to stop you know, bullying him and I'm gonna tell. And I was just like, I tried to like get in the way. And I remember I was like so proud of myself. Yes. And like went home, I called my mom at the hospital cause she works in the ER and I'm not supposed to do that except for emergencies, but I called her and I told her all about it and I was so proud. And of course my mom started screaming you at me. Never do She's that. like, you're never allowed to do that ever again, you know? But I remember that episode after reading that book and I was like, oh, I guess like that was my sparkotype from when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. Like what's the point of resisting that? Like just right. lean, yeah. into lean into it. it. And then I suck at proofreading. That's not my sparkotype. Like yeah. editing, right. like shit like that. I give that to somebody else. Yeah. That's something that just to think about in addition to why are you doing it? It's also like, also, what am I fucking good at? Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's something a lot of us forget. I know I do. I, I'm one of those. And I think, again, this is either maybe a symptom of my undiagnosed, personally diagnosed ADHD or, or I don't know, maybe trauma response. But everything I do is like, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. And only up until very recently, I'd say within the last year, I've been like, I'm OK with letting people do other things, even especially Ed will tell you because with with the, the podcast, I'm like, I'm like, you do it, I, or don't don't ask me questions. I don't I don't I don't want to know. I just do it. He's like, here are the passwords. I'm like, I don't need the passwords because I'm not going to use them because I don't have time and I also don't really know what I'm going to do with it. So please, you can give them to me if you feel like I need them. I'm not going to use them. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I, I I am starting to understand that I can't do it all, even though I want to, and even like the smallest details. I'm like. Let it go. My husband will call me from Costco. I'm like, I trust you. You do it. Now, of course, he'll fuck it up and do it wrong. But I'm like, it's okay. Pick your battles. Let's yeah. just let's mm -hmm. just move it along. Keep it pushing because I can't anymore. I don't want to anymore. I'm too old for that shit now. I'm like, I'm done. But it's passed down from our parents. For sure. It's like yeah. an Asian Korean Which is weird, trait. though. No, because my dad made me do fucking everything. <laughs> like all of the chores and well, taking like shit. Like, did, making your children do something. It's very think. different. It's very different. It's different. Like I come from a mom who used to cut my own hair because she was like, nobody, nobody just can even cut it right. <laughs> Do we have pictures? Please. Yes. Oh my God. We talk about Ed's hair a lot on this podcast. <laughs> a lot. I have this photo. It's on one of those um, like measurement things of like you growing. So it's like, it's printed out on that. But at one point my mom gave me a bowl cut. Oh God. Who didn't get one and, of those? And a mullet combo. <laughs> now that is oh, unique. That's art though, that's art. Yeah. So like I had this bowl cut and then down here in the oh, back God. there was hair that came down to my shoulders. Oh my God. If I don't see a picture of that, and I also want to see the picture of your perm. 
Oh, I don't He's know if I have a picture of the perm, oh but yeah. every Korean boy has had a perm once yes. in their lives. Yes. Mine and was only Korean, for like 10 hours. Every Korean girl has given their mother a perm. Oh. I gave my mom a perm. I did not. No. Actually, you know what? I did have to dye my mother's <laughs> See, hair. So that's yes. kind of hair treatment. <laughs> yes. My mom's like, you can do this. You're very creative. You, you're good with your hands. <laughs> Give me creative. a perm. I was like, did you just say give you a perm and you just gave me a bottle of chemicals? I'm 10. <laughs> I was like, okay. And it actually turned out really yes. nice. Of course Science. it did. Of course it, it did. Great. But then my older sister tried to give me a haircut. It was like in the 80s. And one side was like to my ear and the other one was about middle neck. And but in the 80s, that's like that kind was in of, style. I was yeah. gonna say I went to school and all the kids my age were making fun of me, but all the older, like prepubescent kids were like, "Your hair is so cool." Where and I was did like, you get uh, your haircut? Ahead of your time. I was like, "Thank God!" And you know, I think it's shaped the fashion mogul that I am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I made that shirt. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. I live in this shirt now. But so let me ask you this. We all know you're super accomplished. You've oh. done pretty much what it sounds like everything you've ever set out to do. Like, is there anything else like what that you haven't done that you really want to do? I know there's another cookbook on the way and that's super exciting. And so a law book maybe. Yeah. According to my agent. Right, right, right. But like from like a passion perspective, is there something anything else that you see like for yourself? Well, I really am enjoying the process of working on the podcast. It started by accident, like everything yeah. else in my life, I feel like it started by accident. But um, I was telling someone the other day, I haven't felt as excited about something since I started the Korean Vegan. And it's exciting for me to work on my writing uh, at such an intense level. It's so funny, like, well, you know, you have books, like, couldn't you work on your writing there? And I'm like, yes, but it's a little different when you know you're writing to thousands of people who yeah. will hear you that, you know, in a few days. And so that's been really great. And then also just to separate myself a little bit from food. I know that's when you hear the word vegan, like that's 90% of it is food and thus the Korean vegan, of mm -hmm. course, has right. to you know, play in that sandbox to a degree. But that's not all that I am. Yeah. That's not all that I do. And you know, at the risk of divulging my serious hero complex or whatever complex that I have. Yeah, I've been like oh my God. deep diving into that I since our like chat. Our, our sparkotypes might be similar. Very similar, say, I'm sure. I feel like I'm sandwiched right now. <laughs> like, yeah. So like, I mean, like I, um, I've known like, for a very long time, the thing I hate the most in the world is racism. I yeah. fucking can't stand it. I can't breathe with it. I, I just, that is the thing that wakes me up in the morning is I gotta fucking get rid of racism. Like, <laughs> I know that sounds like ridiculous, but like, that's it the thing that drives everything that I do, you know? And so this podcast- You're preaching to the choir here on that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, that's what I'm trying to do. It's like open, open people's hearts through every imaginable way so that when I send a message about, fucking white supremacist, you know, gun crazy, you right. know, people, yes. they're open to it because they trust me, you know? That's I think the hard part too, is like the, for me, like getting from like, okay, let me try to open your heart to just like rage and anger is such a short trip from A to B. And I think again, it's because I feel like I have to, and I'm not saying that you do this, but I feel like I have to suppress so much of myself in order to like, and like, why do I feel the need to sugarcoat things to make it more palatable for people instead of just being like, this is why this is fucked up. And I, I know you're feeling attacked right now. This is not an attack on you. 
And like, I can't speak to it in the way that I would want to speak to it. And I have to be like, well, so in my life, I've experienced these things. And I'm just like, no, I wanna just fucking scream it at you. Like, why do you not get it yet? Why do I have to do it in this way every fucking time? Mm. It's so frustrating to me, because I'm not that. My it's my sparkotype is not quiet, whatever that is. <laughs> you know? like, it's, she's not, she's not, and she never has been. It's that whole debate between like intention and impact, right? Right. Your intent is to like, get the point across, but you have to be wary of like, if we're not gonna just speak to the people who already agree with us and we're trying to open up the world to the eyes of people, you have to be aware of the impact, which is like, I think like one of the hardest things to do. Well, I think that your use of the phrase sugarcoat is very apt because if you think about it with children, like I've been asked to develop some recipes for children and I'm like, all right, how do I get them to eat broccoli? <laughs> mm, I don't know, mm. fry it. Right. Um, <laughs> like, put, put chocolate yeah. on it. Coat it in cornflakes and yeah. fry it. Yeah, you that know? Like, <laughs> seriously, like that's, that's my task. And like, that's unfortunately who we're dealing with at some level, right. whether it's intellectually, sociologically, or experientially, these people are children. And so we're the, you know, and I say this all the time, you know, when I'm working with brands, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm the spoon full of good food, but I'm also the mom that's like, and like, that's my job, you know? And so, yeah, I, that's, that's all of our jobs as content creators is how do we get this, you know, spoonful of densely nutrient broccoli right. into the mouths of our communities. And sometimes that means we have to do a really good job of pretending to be an airplane. Right, open the hangar, here comes the airplane. And you know what, you make a good point. It. I've made it work with my kids. If I can make it work with them, I guess I could make it work with anybody. It's yes. just, sometimes though, man, the airplane just needs to go in the hangar and we need to bring out the bomber. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that also speaks to you know, just because we're content creators or whatever you want to call us, like doesn't mean we're not humans right. and we're not people who also deserve and need to be seen and right. heard. Our pain is as relevant as everyone else's. And, you know, to the extent that you realize that you are suppressing your own pain for the greater good, you really need to examine well, okay, is it really gonna be for the greater good if the content that I'm producing is a product of suppression, self-suppression, right. you know? Like, right. not necessarily, sometimes maybe, but not necessarily, We, you know, right. we're practical, we need to get shit done. Right. But also, as a mother, as I'm sure you know, you're only as good as your own mental health. That is the truth. You know, if you're not, a, Boy, you know, right know. there, then you're not gonna be a good mom <laughs> either, right, right. you know? It's the airplane, airplane uh, mask oxygen mask, mask yeah. right? Yeah. And it's absolutely true. And I think, I think a big thing that I've really noticed, obviously, being on social media is, I think a lot of people are really surprised, and I think probably for you as well, to see the words come out of my face and the way that I say them. And people are like, I've never seen a middle-aged Korean lady speak the way you do. And you've said the word fuck 600 times in a three minute video. And I think that to the people who are open to it and being like, wow, she is a whole entire person and a, you know, a, antithesis of the stereotype that I come to understand of Asian women, to hear her speak so differently is so refreshing or intriguing or whatever it is. Or threatening. Or threatening. Yes. Conversely, those who are not accustomed to that and not open to it find me to be a threat. And when you feel like a threat, even though you're not threatening, the attacks happen. And that I think is something that I've been really trying to reconcile as of late. And I just, I'm sure you feel that to some degree as well. I definitely feel, um, so many people trying to define me, 
yeah. and not allowing me to define myself. Like I, I have to be like some checkbox yeah. like somewhere, you know? And like, it's, it's hard. I had to deal with that pretty much my whole career in yeah. many respects. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm the submissive Asian girl. Oh, put her on damages. Cause she's good at math. Like no. I, <laughs> how many times I got that one? Like you're going to be in charge of damages. Oh I'm like, God. gee, I wonder why. <laughs> like I'm so good at Excel. Right, you right, know? right. Um, I'm all the boxes and none of the boxes. That's actually. exactly what it was. Yeah. I'm all the boxes so and none of the boxes, yeah. you know, like it was that. But I mean, there's also something so liberating and lovely and refreshing about being able to just say, yeah, no, I actually have eight tattoos, so fuck you. Right, you know? right, like, that's where I'm at that's, right now. That's exactly, I mean, there's something, that's about me being seen, right. you know? And to the extent that we're also disarming people with saying there's actually a version of the Asian woman that perhaps you're unfamiliar with, let right. me familiar. Let me introduce her exactly. to you. She's a little loud though. And, and, and that's that's great. And I think that that goes towards representation. It goes towards what I always call, you know, more than quantified representation. Let's do quality representation. Yes, Let's course. do adequate representation right. plus fair representation. Like all of those things are important. And I think it's just instead of doing this silly Asian trope where we're all submissive, beautiful, like semi lotus girls right. like let's show all of us right. like all our glory. I, I make a very conscious effort in my videos that like, if I'm not wearing makeup or I like am wearing, and I look disheveled or I just came home from the gym, my tendency normally would be like, all right, I'm gonna take a shower, I'm gonna do my hair, I'm gonna put my makeup on and then I'm gonna do the, my video. And now I'm like, nope, I'm gonna just give it to them like it is. Cause this is the entirety of who I am. And I think to some degree, I think people really appreciate that. Cause I think so many of us and I think just women in general have conditioned, been conditioned. Like, I can't tell you how many videos you see of women saying like, sorry, I look this way. Oh, I, that's me. <laughs> don't, don't do it. I look this way because I live my life. I look this way because I do shit in my day. I look this way because this is what I fucking look like. And like, I think as women on TikTok, and then again, that second degree of being Asian women on TikTok, there are so many things, these expectations that people put on us. And I, Again, to what you said, I'm so ready to just fucking blow the doors off of it. I'm like, I'm done with it. Well, and also be a bringer of normalization, right? right? Like I, you know, to people who say that's fucking bullshit, nobody cares if you're wearing makeup, that's just not true. I literally mm -hmm. got a comment from a woman the oh, other day on my same. YouTube saying, why don't you ever wear makeup in your YouTube videos? I mean, I get it, but you're on fucking YouTube, okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not on TV. Like, what the hell? Like, seriously, it's just YouTube. Jesus. Like, and I'm not like a beauty like influencer. I'm a fucking cook. Sorry. Right. Like, if I didn't, and, like, also, by the way, I was wearing makeup, like, not a lot, but come so, on. So like, many fuck also, you. So, yeah, like, so many things. And the fact that it came from a woman was just so disheartening. Like, you know better than anybody. Anyone. Like, the work that we have to go through to do this. And it's like, you know what? If I can normalize a woman being able to make a fucking YouTube video about food right. without having to do 45 to 60 minutes of hair and makeup, right. I'm all for that. Like, let's do that. I mean, I feel like I see it enough on my feed. I, I, I could not believe this comment. I was like, and I've also actually done directly posts about why, why I, don't I don't wear, wear makeup, makeup. Right. you know? Right. I'm not even a woman, that obviously. That was also my other question. I was gonna be like, how many times have you commented this on a man's post? Never. How many times? Like, be honest. Anything short of For never. For sure. But even then, sometimes I even get people being like, who told you those glasses look good on you? <laughs> 
Did your mom cut your hair again? Since, that, since that comment, I stopped wearing glasses in no. my video. I know you stopped wearing your glasses. Yeah. No, honestly, you have okay, so this is a little embarrassing. Like, I actually did not even know who you were at first when you emailed me because, like, or, or no, like some of your videos, I was like, there's this guy who has glasses. <laughs> oh my God. But there's this other it. guy do that it. doesn't have glasses, do but it. they have very similar content. <laughs> like, I remember having this thought in my head, and I was like, and I remember like seeing one of your TikToks. I'm like, no, that guy, he doesn't have glasses. Yeah. He doesn't no, have glasses. In the beginning, yeah, in the beginning I was yeah. even like, oh, these glasses are going to be on my trademark. And then I got that comment and one of the similar comment within like a week of each other. And instantly I was like, I was like, yeah, these glasses reflect too much light anyway. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna stop wearing it. And uh, yeah, now to this day. I think your glasses are and nice. It's not even like I put contacts in. Many times I'll be wearing glasses You're all day blind. and I just take them off. And if you see, if you look really closely, you could see the glasses in then because I was wearing them up until the moment I started making the video. Oh my so like God. I'm making the video literally blind me like there could be stuff on my face. I can't even see it right now. Nope. Oh yeah, my God, that so is the hardest thing, right? But definitely nowhere near what women get, you know? Because I've, I've seen comments. Oh yeah. And I've made videos where I'm like washing my face. They're like, don't ever wash your makeup off. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> so mean. It gets so mean. It's like funny, but like, that's so fucking mean. No, Why is wrong with you? brutal out there. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody brutal. literally last week was like, what's wrong with your skin? I was like, what's what? wrong with my, my skin? skin? I was Nothing. like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh my God. I, I was thinking the other day, like YouTube comments in particular are basically the equivalent of like, you know when you guys are like watching TV with your partner, like you're just sitting there watching mm -hmm. TV, it's late night, you're eating dinner or whatever, and you're like looking at somebody on the news and you're like, dude, why is she wearing so much makeup? Yeah. Or like you say like, uh, yeah, that blouse, not a not, not a good look <laughs> yeah, for yeah. her. Like you just say these things like private out loud. That thought, yeah, that private thought public, yeah. like that you're having with your partner, or even like to yourself or to your dog or like whomever, right? Mm -hmm. That's now what people say on YouTube, thinking that they have the same protections afforded right. of the privacy of their kitchen or their dining table. And it's it's horrible, it's like so bad. And it's gotten to the point where even like when I have that impulse while I'm watching TV by myself, like I will censor my, my own thoughts. brain. Yeah. Like you are not allowed to say something about that hideous blouse right now. <laughs> yeah. Don't say it. Yeah, don't think we it. We all know don't she's not a real You don't have to say, say it or think it. Or everybody already knows Laura Ingram is not an actual bot. Yeah, she's a bot. She's actually the she's devil. <laughs> Wearing a blonde wig. Kidding, not kidding. Anyway, but yeah, that that's a whole nother layer of social media. And I, I feel this tremendous responsibility to, especially as of late, is like the content that I put out, I don't have any control of it. We talked about this last week. I have no control of it once it's released. And there's just this like, I imagine just these like Pavlovian dogs just like drooling and waiting for me to just like push the button and release the gate and then people just go with it. And it's like, but that's not what I want. And I don't, I try to even cultivate my content. I've, I've made a very concerted effort to steer my content in a more positive way and like blurring people people's faces out in an effort to like not cause that person harm. But like, I can't say anything anymore. And it's, mm -hmm. I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's just me. I don't think it's just me. I think it's just the nature of social media and like where it's going. And I, I question a lot of the times, like, do I wanna be part of that anymore? It's, it's painful. That's a really good question. And I think that as stewards of whatever service we're trying to provide, I mean, I've made myself clear, like I'm, you know, an ambassador of compassion. I, you know, that's why I'm vegan, but that's also why I 
try to talk about racism in the way that I do, which is like just to get people on board that, yeah, maybe you're racist, you know, without like immediately erecting these defensive barricades to that idea. Because I'm always investigating my own self of, you know, anti-blackness or other racist tendencies, you know? So like, however you want to do that, if that is the objective of your service, if that is your mission, then I think it's fair to always be evaluating, reevaluating, questioning, redirect, you know, is this really the most effective way that I can execute on my stated objective? Or maybe my objective isn't that. And mm. that's, there's like no shame in that sure. either. Like yeah. we've talked about. Or you can change your you objective. You can change your objective or you can modify it. You can like say, well, yes, this is my main objective, but there's the secondary objective. Yeah. You know, these are all totally fair game. However, again, and I question myself about this all the time, you know, so I'm not, you know, somehow not susceptible to this, which is, okay, but if I'm participating in an industry that makes money, off of galvanizing violence or galvanizing negative thinking or division or tribalism, that's that's the industry that I'm participating in. Right. However overtly against that my right. content might be, right. unfortunately that's that's what I participate in. Is it fair for me to do that? Mm-hmm. Am I now contributing to a problem that's so overwhelmingly large that my minute fractional, you know, impact is simply being swallowed by right. that? And do I now need to just take a stand and say, I refuse to do this, subscription only, no more advertising. Right. I can't do this anymore. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, YouTube is certainly not going to like hearing this, but I'm just <laughs> saying it. Well, it's not like they don't know the thoughts are out there. No, they're not. And they, and they have a, a fantastic subscription product as well. And I and I'm I love YouTube, don't get me wrong. They have supported me in every way of all the platforms. I love them so much. And and I think part of that is because they realize that they're in a quandary right now. They do have this power to change narratives in this yeah. really, really do. amazing way. And the people at Google are wonderful people. Like they are wonderful people. And I think they really want to figure out a way to do that. And I think that's why they promote people like me because they're like, oh, Joanne, we love, I mean, I told them like point blank the first time I met their entire team, I was like, the purpose of my content is to eradicate racism. That's literally point blank why I do what I do. And they're like, okay, we're on board with that. We wanna promote Joanne. Even though I have a pretty smallish following there, we wanna do everything we can for her. And I think part of that is because they understand their power in in this place. But, you know, I think at the same time, the model is the model. It's it's a function of, you know, psychology. I mean, quite frankly, I don't know how you get away from it. I think it's very important. And I think that's what I admire most about the content that you put out is, is like, part of fighting racism isn't just like calling people out and sure. racist things, but it's also like normalizing our experience, mm-hmm. our point of views. And I think you do that in a very poignant way where it's like you tell stories about your family, but like it's not always like so, and I think it's this case with many of us, but it's not always just relevant to other Asian people or other exactly. Korean people. I think what people don't realize is that like, they're just life experiences. Right. Sure, some of the details might be a little bit differing from yours, but we all share the same experiences of like insecurities or like not owning up to something or like having expectations, like whatever they may, may be, they're just human experiences. And I think 100%. you do a really good job at doing that. Thank you. Clearly. Well, I always think of everybody as a jury. I mean, that's just the way that I think about it. And oh, I think, your lawyer brain. Yeah, I think of everyone as a jury and there have been essentially two different styles of lawyering that I've seen deployed, you know, to different degrees of success. 
But here's the thing is Susie's, you know, style, if I may say, is like your brimstone, you know, lawyer, the trial lawyer that fucking goes for the jugular <laughs> and does not look back, you oh, know, me? like that. And, and I've seen that. I'm a pussycat. <laughs> I've seen that and that works. I mean, that's not my style, but that definitely works. It is incredibly effective when it's done well. I've seen it. I, I can think of a deposition in my mind where I definitely saw it and I was like, wow. Like no offense, and I was like, "You're such an asshole," because it was an opposing yeah. counsel like situation. I was yeah. like, "You're an asshole," but you're getting the admissions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You're getting them on paper. Like, good job. And then here's my style. I had the witness. Um, he's a guy with like multiple tattoos all up and down his arms. And you know what? I walk in knowing what I look like. I know what I look like at that age. I knew what I looked like, and I had a nice outfit on and everything. And I had a sleeveless dress on, and I had all my tattoos. And I was like, tell me about your tattoos. Oh my God, this is the one that I got my mom. Like right, that's right, why I got right, this right. one. And I have this one with my grandma. And yeah. we talked about tattoos for about 25 minutes. And by the end of it, I, I thought he was gonna ask me out on a date, which has happened to me, by the way. Many <laughs> witnesses have asked me out on dates. And like, I get in there, I got every admission I needed yeah. out of that deposition without ever once breaking that rapport that I had been developing for the right. first 25 minutes. That's what I do with my audience because I know that's that's what works for me. Right. That's my style. I had many colleagues over the years say, Joanne, you need to embrace the bear inside of you. You need to be like a tiger when you go in there. And I'm like, yeah, that might work for you. Yeah. That does not work for me. And if I tried to do that, everyone would see through me in an instant and I would lose them. Which is so funny that you say that because I, I know that Ed knows this of me, but a lot of pub, like publicly, people don't know. I, I am like that. Mm. I am also that. I am also very sensitive and I'm also very caring. And I'm also the kind of person that really does want to commune and connect with people and share things and, you know, be the kind of person that feels like that people can depend on. I want to be all of those things as well. But now I feel like if I tried to show that side of me, people would be like, you're full of shit. Mm. That's not who you are. You're a fucking bitch. You're this, you know, the bear or whatever. And it's like, I am the bear, but I'm also the pussycat. You know what I mean? Like I'm also that thing too. But I, I think, think you are doing that with your food yeah. videos. I They're super nurturing and like the mom like comes out in I full know. force. <laughs> and that inherently is like at the core of who I am. And I think that's why my social media went in such a different direction. Cause I was like, I need to express this part of me that I don't get to express on a daily basis. I was telling Ed, like I go to my kid's school and I have, you know, just throngs of children just waiting to hug me. Like I am that nurturing mom mama bear that that I know I am in my life. But I am so trepidatious about putting it out there because I don't think people would believe me at this point. And it's like, I don't want anybody to ever think that I'm being fraudulent, but am I being fraudulent by not putting it out there because that is who I am. So I, I have this, I, I'm, I have this like fork in the road moment well, right now. I mean, I don't think that like, as a lawyer, as a trial lawyer, I'm going out there and being like, I'm basically going to be this Pussy cat. Right. Like, I right, know right. I'm not, yeah. you know, but I mean, I think it's more just like, what do people need me to be? Yeah. And what is my capacity for that? Yeah. If you want to call it deception, fine. I don't give a fuck. I need my admissions on the record. Like, that's like kind of the yeah. way I'm going at it. Like, I need my admissions, however, and like, this yeah. is the tool that I know yeah. I'm really good at using yeah. in order to get finessing. that shit. Yeah, finessing, spinning, yeah. styling. And I think that, you know, look, we're content creators. We're in the public eye. We are playing characters to some degree. Right. There's yeah. no it's doubt true. about it. Everyone calls me Como. I'm like, I'm not your fucking Como, but I'm okay. <laughs> like, if you think that I'm your Como, okay? Yeah, right, like, I, right. I'm playing that character, right? 
we're all doing that to some degree. You got to balance that though, again, with this need to be seen. Yeah. And, and with a, a feeling of authenticity and just standing in your ground, the ground that you have developed over years and years of just being a person. Right. And I think once you find that balance and you are also feeling like you're meeting a need, that's when you find fulfillment and joy in what you create. Agreed. Totally agree. Uh, social media. I mean, <laughs> we have some of us have a public persona, you know, like Susie always tells me she's like, for some reason in your videos, she's like, you have this like news, newscaster voice. And I keep watching my videos back and I'm like, do I, do I sound he does. And he's like, actually like really goofy and really, and not that you're not hilarious, but like you're very, you can be very silly. And I think that like, I, I, I love seeing it and I know that other people would love to see it, but like you have a very, your presence is your presence. I think that the special talent that Ed has, and I, I wrote this in the book that I gave to you, is like you have this like thing that you do with your face, which I'm sure you've seen now because you've watched multiple videos, where like when you hear or see something that makes no fucking sense, <laughs> like you get this look on your face, your mouth literally goes crooked. You're it, like, it's what? so true. And it is so like, like, Oh my God, like did his face just move like that? Like I didn't, I don't even have the muscles to make my face move like that. Like how does he do that? This is like, totally exactly asymmetrical, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh my God, like this thing that we're listening to is so fucking full of bullshit that it's caused his face to spasm like in this way. But like, here's the thing about that is that it is immensely disarming. Agreed. It is so, powerfully disarming and it evinces this like kind of unbridled compassion and like this like absolute need to like grip justice like it is very powerful and i think that's why you know whether it's called like a journalistic instinct or just this sense of like hey i'm in it with you all right i'm in the shit with you all let's see if we can dig our way out of this together is really really important i think that's why your content resonates with so many people thank you i did not ever think to think that <laughs> But I, I think love I do the know face. what you mean. I love yeah. the face thing. I was like, oh my God, when I saw it in person the other day, I was like, there it is. <laughs> the face thing for Ed is when he's feeling a very like intense emotion and then his his face does does show it. I've actually been told that my whole life, not in that poignant of a way, but like, for instance, I used to be a server for a while when I was younger. And um, many coworkers have told me they were like, you do know that you were just giving them the most disgusting face ever, right? And I was like, no, I wasn't. I was like, in my head, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be I a sir. I'm smiling at you with my face And like, right one now. of them even took a picture, and they're like, this is my face. I was like. <laughs> that's, ex that's, a, that's like a very small smidgen right, of your yeah. face. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Not in full form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I can I don't think I can fake it, you know no, what I mean? Because it's, it's just like a visceral feeling that I have that just emotes through my face. It's the emotion trying to escape through your mouth. <laughs> yeah, is what's <laughs> and I think part of that has to do with the fact that like I was mostly goofy growing up, but I was also like the smart kid that they wanted to like, you know, go up through school. And I think I because I used to get bullied for being a nerd for so long, I like really leaned into this like Chandler mm. character. You know what I mean? Being the goofy, funny guy, like, hey, don't make fun of me. I make fun of myself. And right. I'll beat you to the punch. That started uh kicking my ass in high school and college because when we would do like group things or anything like people would literally brush off my ideas and then 
ironically, they would then say it in their own words like two minutes later and be like, oh my God, that's a great idea. I'd be like, what the fuck? I, that was literally my idea. So I think there's like some something inside of me where I'm like always just conscious of like, if I need to get my point across, you need to right. you know, like rein it in, but I guess my face then is like, <laughs> yeah. you think you're doing stuff. You have poker face, you just don't have, don't have poker mouth. You do not have, like, it's like it's like normal from here up, and then your mouth does this like crazy like thing. perpendicular. Yeah, you're like, whoa. Oh. You know what I'm talking about, Susie, I right? Do. I know exactly. And I know when it's about to happen too. When you get to like the part where it's like really right. pissing your mouth, like really making you upset, it's like, now my mouth is this way. I'm like so self-conscious right now, but like Don't not me. in a negative in way. A I'm just like, way. I'm just trying to like play back my now, own face. It's because your body is responding to the things that you're talking about yeah. in such a way that you cannot control necessarily all of you, the faculties that you have. You I have, just didn't realize it was my mouth. No, it's it's, it's so disarming. I told wonderful. my husband as soon as I got in the car a couple days ago, I was like, it is so wonderful. <laughs> oh, he's thanks. so lovely. And like, he's just so lovable and like very, very easy to like love, you yes. know, and oh. it's because of that that like <laughs> openness that you have. It's just so open, and you're just like inviting people in, and that's what I, you know, that's the kind of environment I try to create all the time. Which is like, don't worry, like I'm laying myself open right, to you, right. and so you have to know I will never hurt you because right. I know what that feels yeah, right. like. You well, know, I'm equally vulnerable in this situation. Exactly. With you. Exactly. Right. Well, because that conversation, because I was about to cry, <laughs> I was like, oh god, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't. It's okay. It wouldn't be an episode without one, I guess. Yeah. This is what we it's told her. So true. two days ago, we went and had boba. It was a whole it was thing. It was supposed to be dinner, which turned into boba because he drove four. 40 miles in the wrong direction. It's fine. But Joanne and I were sitting there and we were talking about our episodes and how we nary have an episode where we escape it without crying. And yeah. so far, so good. But, you know, you I think. Suck it back in. <laughs> <laughs> but the conversation that you had with your husband about Ed was pretty much the conversation that Ed and I had about you the second you got in your Aww. car. We were, I was like, she's even better than I thought she was going to be. I was like, she is not intimidating at all, but so intimidating. I was like, so poised. I thought she was going to be kind of bitchier. I don't know why I thought that, but she was really nice. And I felt so like at home with her. Like I was talking to like my cousin or something. I felt like, and it was just, it was just so free flowing and open. And I think that is such a big part of who you are is like, Aww. that is so obvious when you do your videos that you're not speaking at people and you're not directing them at what they should be thinking or saying or whatever. It's like, you just cut your arms open and just like bleed your blood all over them. And in a way where it's just like, this is my humanity. This is who I am. And like this, I'm so, you're so vulnerable, but so powerful at the same time. And like, yeah. it's this combination that I cannot really put my finger on. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, but I do get it. And that's why we watch it. The first time I saw one of your videos, I was like, I'm older than her, but I still want her to be my emo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I still want her to be my emo. I was like, I could be vulnerable too. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, how is she so vulnerable without breaking down? Especially I was like, you're, Jesus. You're, when you talk about your divorce, and like, I, I'm also, I was also divorced once and I was like, I so get it. And like the family dynamic of doing it and the having to tell your family and going through it was so painful, but it was so necessary. And I'm like, I relate to you in so, so many ways. And it was just, it felt so good to have that with you. Like, mm -hmm. even though you were a complete stranger, it's like, and that's the thing about social media is like you forge these relationships that you don't necessarily even know you're forging, right? Well, I think the greatest um, joy, of course, is 
turning those parasocial relationships into actual relationships, right. right? And like, you know, that's why it's always so exciting when people I admire on social media, like reach out to me, they're like, would you be on our podcast? I'm like, yes, of course, you know, wait, where are you located? <laughs> <laughs> She's talking about us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he said it, he's like, I'm shooting my shot with Joanne. I was like, you are? That makes me so Oh my nervous. God, and then after I commented, I then reached back out to Susie, I was like, oh my God, I should probably DM'd her, huh? I was like, oh, I was like, I, I, I did it publicly, I was like, it's too late, it's already out there. <laughs> and now if you take it away, it'll look like you didn't And then I was, like, I was like, I'm gonna delete it, I was like, Oh, she already responded. I was like, oh my God. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Well, normally I don't respond to those types of things, but I, you know, I admire both of you immensely. I think the work that you're doing is incredibly important. And I think that a lot of people, millions and millions of people, can you imagine that? Millions and millions of people find value, immense value in the things that you are putting out there into the world. And that's something that's incredibly beautiful. But like you said, also comes with it a lot of questioning, Mm -hmm. reevaluation, repositioning, all of those things. And, you know, luckily you two are incredibly smart. You're very talented um, and you're, insanely empathetic. And those are the things that you need at your side 24 seven in order to continue propelling this forward in the way that you want. Well, coming from you, Joanne, I take that as one of the highest compliments I think I could have ever received. I just interpreted that as in like, we're best friends now. (laughs) She basically told us she wasn't hanging out with us all the time, which I really was hoping for. Gladly, again, you guys are 15 minutes away from my house. (laughs) Proximity (laughs) totally matters. I'm 44, proximity matters. So much. And I don't drive. I I will literally drive 80 miles, so we're good. (laughs) Thank God. He literally (laughs) That was so crazy. Um, But yeah, we, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. I mean, your schedule sounds so cuckoo bananas. You have so many things going on. I mean, if we need to rattle it off again, I mean, obviously social media content creator, book writer, James Beard Award book writer, marathon runner, podcaster, senior attorney, partner. like senior partner. I'm to be fair, I'm not a partner anymore. I'm of counsel. Oh, okay. But well, it doesn't matter. Then that's you fine. Still because then I guess that that's nothing. It's still Oh, well then never mind all that other <laughs> stuff that I just said. No, but for you to even have taken the time to do this podcast and have met us the other night, like it really means a lot to us. And I know it's gonna mean a lot to the people who are listening to us well, right now. That is the thing that matters. And I had so much fun. Yeah. She came like seriously, and like yes. on the way home, I was like, maybe they'll invite me again because oh I love gosh. talking to them. They're so fun. Duh. Okay, yeah. so now Guy Tang is our friend. I don't know if you saw the podcast with him. You're not. So we have this like little coalition of like really fun Asian people who yes. are the visual just, Asians. The visual Asians. <laughs> But you know, we, we talked about it earlier, but one of the things that like, I didn't realize in this journey that would happen was while I was like, Hey, we need more positive representation. Like people talking about issues. The one thing I didn't really realize that I would get so much benefit from was like building an Asian community that was so lacking in my life. Yeah, so that lucky. like where we're just like totally okay with supporting each other and not worried about, well, what piece of the pie are you taking away from me? Right. right. Like that that is so prevalent in our communities yes. and building a coalition of people who are like, instead of worrying about that, because it's a valid concern, there is scarcity in our sure. world, right? It's a valid concern. Why don't we just fucking forget that? and just work on making sure that we are getting what we deserve, right. you know, all of us. Yes. And I right. think that's really, 
hard to do. We don't sure. trust people. We're very not trusting people sometimes. And so when you find people you trust because of the look on their face when they hear something <laughs> that makes no fucking sense, <laughs> then you're like, okay, I need to, Fair like, enough. these are people that need to be in my community. Right. I agree. I agree. And I think, especially, I mean, obviously, Ed is included in this as well, but Korean American women in particular, I have found growing up the way that I did, and I think a lot of Korean American women can agree, like we've been conditioned to be so competitive with each other. hundred percent. Right? So competitive about the way we look, the way we dress, who we're married our to, our reports. education. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Our education, everything was a competition. And I hated it. And I was like, I don't wanna be part of this. I don't care what Eunice Kang is doing. I don't Mine care. Minus Jennifer Kim. Grace Park, <laughs> uh, great, good for you. You're a, whatever the Mine fuck you are. Mine sounds fake, but it was John Kim. Of course it was. I mean, how many John Kims? All of them. And I was just like, conditioned to think that it was a competition. And and I will say for all of its ills that social media has, it has really taught me that I'm not here to compete with you. I'm not here to, to you know, stack my statistics on who's doing better in what, like, I just wanna commune with you. And I, I wanna have, like my list of strong, smart, powerful Korean American women on my like follower friend page, I'm so proud of. I'm like, these are women that I look up to and admire and they think I'm pretty okay too. And like that to me is like the highest honor. Having obviously validation, we need validation. I don't care. Being validated by other Korean American women Everyone. to me is like, wow, because I, growing up, never thought that that was something I should aspire towards. And I'm oh, so happy to have that. Such a beautiful feeling. Like, isn't it, it so, is so liberating? Beautiful. I feel so free from it now. I read this one book, which you guys should read, called Crying in H Mart. We have you so many, so much to read and listen you to. You have to read <laughs> Crying in H Mart. I've heard Crying in H Mart. Okay, Michelle's honor is like yeah. brilliant beyond belief. And you both should totally read it. But she talks about this, how, you know, she is um, the face of uh, Japanese breakfast, right? Mm. Which is this like indie punk rockish mm. kind of, I, and I'm sorry if I'm misrepresenting you, Michelle, um, but like that, that's what it is. And she said like the first time she saw another Korean American woman singing in that genre, her first two thoughts were, oh my God, I totally want to be her. Mm -hmm. And her second thought was, well, there's already one Korean American right. woman doing it, so I can't. Can't, right. That was the first two things that she did. She was a little girl when she had yeah. that thought. And I asked her, I was like, how did you overcome that like scarcity mentality? Cause that, I'm sorry, I am so much challenged by that. Yes. And she was like, cause I knew that there were a bunch of white boys doing the same exact yeah. thing with immense success. Mm -hmm. So why can't I, yeah, you know? Fucking and I was like, that is, the perfectest answer I've ever heard. It's true. It's true. And I feel like our parents passed this down, obviously, from their history. Scarcity. It's, like it's scarcity because they actually had scarcity, you know, like real. literally in every for sense real, of the word. Yeah. So it's totally understandable right. why they're like that. Unfortunately, it doesn't make sense anymore. Right. No. And we don't. it's on us to break those traumas. Like, Right. Being competitive. You know what I mean? Like I've had it enough with my mom telling me at the age of seven and eight years old that so-and-so's son bought them a car. You know uh, what I mean? Like I <laughs> set them on vacation. I don't want to do that anymore as an adult. I right. want us to have a community and help each other out versus being like <laughs> threatened by each other. Or, yeah, yeah. Or if right. I want to do something, I want to do it because I want to do it, not because I'm trying to do it better than somebody else did. Yes. Like, no, I'm done what with a waste that. Of it's life. such a waste. Yeah, exactly. Well, so. I think these types of conversations are absolutely critical to cultivating that kind of mentality and those types of kind of collative bonds. 
if we don't have honest and frank conversations about this, then I think we're just fooling ourselves right. and pretending. Yeah. Like I think it's just like fine to be like, yes, I feel threatened, but let's put put that aside, right. yep. shelve that and decide the answer is not I need to take from everyone in order to fill my plate. The answer is convincing all of us that there's enough for all right. of us and ensuring that there always remains enough right. for all of Let's us. Let's all just get bigger plates. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's all we really have to do is create, expand our space. Exactly. And expand our space, there'll be plenty of room for all of us. Yeah. And we can't do it alone. That's, no, that's, the, of course that's not. the truth of it. Even if we, yeah, there's no way because the, we have to fill the plate with other people. That's that's the whole point of it. Exactly. So Food analogies, so always. relatable. Yes, right. Yes. We got to get these two plant-based is, is the answer. You know what? I, I I just got a juicer. I could just live on that. That's all I care about. That's all I, I care about. I don't care about anything else anymore. E plant-based. Which yes. I'm so excited to hear yes. about. Yes. And yes. I think you'll really enjoy the book because you can have tenjang jjigae, kimchi jjigae. Yes. I even have carby recipes in there. It's all I want to do yeah. is like, and the podcast, so I can go home and start cooking. I like, I want to read and find a recipe, get all the ingredients yeah. and go home straight away. You and probably do have it. all the ingredients. Yeah, I told you, <laughs> I do. I told yeah. you before we started recording, but for those of you that don't know, your, you started, your persona started coming out right around the time I got diagnosed with gout and kidney stones. And most of the, all of that is like from protein, a lot from animal protein, a lot of other things too, actually, but. Like spinach. Yeah, like <laughs> spinach. But I guess that makes sense because spinach has a lot of protein in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like in the beginning, when I first went through that, I started eating very vegan based, like plant-based diet. And I remember a year in being like, I haven't eaten Korean food in a really long time. And then when I went to go make it, I was like, oh, I'm gonna make, oh, I need pork belly. I was like, oh, I'm gonna, that's bulgogi, you idiot. I was like, oh, I'll just make, oh no, even taenjang chicken has pork? I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And it wasn't until I started looking through some of your content and like watching your recipes being like, oh yeah, I could totally substitute pork belly with mushrooms and yeah. that's perfectly you know like whatever it is and like oh i don't need anchovy stock because anchovies are actually really bad for me like <laughs> kombu is perfectly great you know what i mean like yeah. i still get those umami hits mm -hmm. and i'm not missing anything and so, you're not also in pain yes so thank you so much we're going Aww. to if you don't already have it i mean it's already a new york times bestseller but if you don't have this I, I really don't know what to tell you because this is not just like such a gorgeous book, like on the like outside, but like the inside, like it is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. It is. And you did all of it. You yeah. took all the photos. It's so beautiful. Other than the photo of me on the back. My, right, yeah, yeah. my friend I mean, from high school sense. took that photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like that's, I admire people because I too am like a self-taught photographer, videographer. I like very much admire people who are in the same boat. Well, there's a book coming out of you soon then, I guess. Reflections <laughs> or a book in yes. general, yeah. From Oma's Kitchen. Uh, so beautiful. We struggled over that a Don't lot. Don't my book. I am. I, <laughs> Don't you can add the salt book. from my tears to your recipes, okay? <laughs> there you go. All right, well, thank you so much again for coming. We really, really appreciate it. I, I mean, you can it. catch Joanne on a, in a million different ways. Um, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, anywhere else. We can find I'm you. on Twitter. Twitter. There you'll find more lawyery political content. Okay. And um, my website, thecreamvegan.com. I also have an, uh, the podcast, which is called Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. Oh, you can so find good. that anywhere. And then I also have um, an app. If you want my recipes, you can have all of them. Wow. <laughs> They're in an app. She does everything. And your handle on everything is the Korean vegan? Yes. Um, oh. My handle on everything is the Korean vegan, except for the podcast, which is, again, Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro? 
And then do you have anything coming up that you wanted to share? So I do have the second cookbook um, that we're hopefully going to launch in, not this year, but 2024, either spring or fall. Um, I would also love to come out with the product line, which I'm working on, hopefully in conjunction with the book, because the biggest uh, negative feedback I got to my book was that, oh my God, I can't find these ingredients. And I'm like, <laughs> don't I know oh it. my God. Like, Good. I, I don't know how that's my fault. Cause right. I would get one star reviews for like their inability to find my ingredients. I'm like, wow. Okay. Wow. Like, I, am I supposed to make kimchi with like, I like, don't know, paprika <laughs> and cayenne powder? Like, is that what you're saying? I don't know, but like. We have the internet. Yeah, yeah. go on Amazon. Are you them. fucking kidding me? Don't yeah. tell me you can't like, get like, to go on, on Amazon. Yeah, I tried to, I was in SoCal, my first time in SoCal, and I needed to find Kochukaru, and I was not in downtown LA. I was in the Valley. I had to go to five different grocery stores before I could find Kochukaru, and I was so frustrated and so angry. I was like, I need to come out with a product line. Fair um, enough. One like, that's, I get yeah, it. yeah, I get it. I was like, and I know my community is heavily gluten-free as well and gluten intolerant. So hopefully by the time the book comes out, you will have a Korean vegan line of kochukaru, kochujang, tenjang, all these things that you guys are saying is impossible to find. She's awesome. making it possible. Yes. And then some fools. Take it over the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you again. Thank we you. Had, I had so much fun. I know. I could do I, this like every day. I, You're totally right. This is like therapy. Right? <laughs> you will feel cleansed. You're going to walk out of here like, oh. I feel like a whole person again. That's amazing. But thank you for joining us. You can find Susie at Sucho One on TikTok and Instagram. And you can find me at Etch Sketch with a J on everything and the podcast at What in the She Buyer. If you are watching us on YouTube, make sure you like, follow, and ring that bell. Do, 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 do. <laughs> no, it's on the horn. That is not a bell. <laughs> Bing bong. Oh, that's not really that's a bell. Not that's a bell. not a bell either. <laughs> Ding. Oh We're trying my gosh. We We're working on it. <laughs> Apparently she turned into a New York City subway for a second there. <laughs> so thank you again for joining us and we'll catch you on the next one. Okay, okay bye. bye.